0: Well, I was planning today to bring a message from the Galatians, uh, and I even told you to turn there, but hey, you know, it hit me this morning that today's an unusual day. Uh, Today is the 20th day of December in the year 2020, so it's 12-20-2020, and you just can't pass that by, and so I figured maybe God has a special word for us rooted in that date. So I looked up the 20th book in the Bible, the 20th chapter and the 20th verse, the 20th book in the Bible, as you all know is the book of Proverbs, and the 20th chapter, and the 20th verse, and here's what I found. Very timely word. If you insult your father or mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. And I thought, kids, you need to hear that this Christmas. (laughs) Because there are many opportunities you'll be given to complain. Gary, could you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm getting a little echo and... Kind of on the loud side, but, but there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you kids, kids from one to 92, to complain and grumble at your parents this Christmas season. And the exhortation from Proverbs 20:20, 20, 20, the 20th book, 20th chapter, 20th verse: If you insult your father or your mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. So the point here is obey the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother, so it will be well with you at Christmas time, and you will live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you." So take that to heart, boys and girls. And those of you who are continuing to love elderly parents, some of whom are in very difficult circumstances right now, thank you for honoring the Lord by honoring your father and mother. I know that uh, Tim Kraft did that, and Janet Allison did that. And I'm sure Lisa did that as well with, with her mother. So I bless you for loving your parents up until the very end of their earthly life. Okay, that's enough. Let's get to Galatians 4. We are going to talk about Christmas and Jesus and why He came today. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, When the fullness of the time came... God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, or as sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Oh, we'll end with that, but is it possible for us to put out of our minds for a few minutes the festivities coming up this week in order to honor christ by meditating on the significance of his advent as i searched this week for something that i might say speak on today i was reminded of this wonderfully brief statement from the pen of the apostle which despite its brevity sums up for us so much of the magnificence of of Christmas. It tells us several things about the birth of Christ. First, we read that Christ's birth came about in the fullness of time. And that's an interesting phrase, but we can't be real sure what it all means or why 6 B.C., which is our best guess as to when Jesus was born, would have been the fullness of time. It is suggested from the context of our passage that by the time of Christ's birth, The race of men had, in some sense, reached a maturity that would make the entrance of God's Son into time appropriate. Others are quick to show how the time in which Christ was born was just right for a movement that could change the world and its history. It truly was a time favorable in many ways. The world domination by Rome produced an unusual peace among nations. The Roman development of roads permitted travel in a way that was previously unknown. The universal usage of the Greek language allowed the books of the New Testament to have global impact. Indeed, Christ Jesus came at the time of the confluence, not of three rivers, but of three cultures. The Jewish culture with its religion, the Roman culture with its government, the Greek culture with its great learning. So, There are reasons that we can see why God would have chosen this particular time to send His Son, but that's only speculation. What is not speculation is the fact that God did determine the time. The Almighty has a plan for His creation. He utilizes the equivalent of a a cosmic day timer. He's working off a schedule of His own making, and according to God's plan, the time had come to send His Son, and the time of His coming is called in our text, the fullness of time. And we can be sure that what God did, He did at the right time. And as you know, timing is always very important. In almost everything we do, it's important. It doesn't matter what you do. If you do it at the wrong time, it's going to fizzle. When I was a kid, I won a chance to compete in a county-wide basketball free throw competition. This was, I think, sixth grade for me. And I went to the competition, very excited about the possibility of winning the trophy. And lo and behold, wonderfully, I made 27 consecutive free throws. Let's hear it for Dan! Thank you very much. Only problem is that was (laughs) warm-ups. When uh, the time came to shoot when it really mattered, I made 14 out of 25, and I was easily beaten. Timing is critical, and so it was in the birth of Jesus. My timing, often very rotten, but God's timing, never wrong. When the time was right, God sent forth His Son. It was the perfect time toward which all of history had been progressing. This is the hour. In a sense, everything else had been the opening act, while the coming of Jesus was the main show. All of God's other deeds. They were preliminaries, but now is the hour of God's appearing, and that is why the coming of Christ, to be born of Mary, is the, is the hinge of human history. I, I think it's a marvelous thing, even a bit funny, that the dating system used around the world is based on the birth of Jesus. We speak of events happening in 400 B.C., meaning by that before Christ, and now it is 2020 A.D. Anno Domini is the Latin, the year of our Lord. So this is the 2020th year of our Lord. Our Western calendars recognize the fact that Christ's coming was the hinge of history. It was the focus of everything, or as Paul puts it, the fullness of time. Well, look again back at verse 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son tough question. What happened in the fullness of time? God did something. God did something. When the time came, God acted. Christmas does not celebrate anything that men do. It does not honor what Mary did. It does not honor what the wise men did or the shepherds did or even some generous fellow named Nicholas. Christmas commemorates the activity of God. In the fullness of time, God, God sent his son. Now, think about that. We, we see that God sent Jesus. We, we did not coax Him down from glory. Mary did not invite Him. <laughs> we did not invite Him. In the incarnation, God moved lovingly towards man unilaterally. And what did He do? He sent His Son, who we know as Jesus. Think about that for a minute. If God sent Jesus, what does that tell you about Jesus? It tells us that Jesus was not created around 2,000 years ago. For God to send his son, his son obviously had to what? Already be, okay? I, I don't know about you, but before I was born, I was nothing. I was a real nowhere man, living in my nowhere man land, making all my nowhere plans for, thank you. All the children of the 60s know that one. I mean, we, we, you probably were too, right? Uh, uh, that kind of that kind of nowhere, nothing. I mean, we sometimes talk as if there's a big waiting room up in heaven full of babies just waiting to be assigned to their, their parents. But I don't remember that waiting room. Do you? Uh, when I was conceived, I was created. I had no prior existence. But Jesus, it said was already God's Son, and Jesus was sent. Jesus was around long before Mary, and that is what we're told throughout the Scriptures. In prophesying of the Messiah's birth, the prophet Micah, 500 years before this, said this in verse 2 of chapter 5, as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from wind. Long ago, from the days of of eternity. Don't you see it? John, you know, wrote in John 1 In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And when he describes what happened at Christmas time, he writes this in verse 14 The Word, which was in the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus, the Word of God, always was, but only in the fullness of time did He take on humanity. Gary, okay, could you turn me down a little bit more? I'm feeling the energy of the Lord, and don't want to bust, uh, bust our people out. That, that's how Jesus could tell His enemies that He was around before Abraham. Remember that passage? Jesus actually said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I, and then what did He say? I am. He didn't even say I was. He said I I am." So you can see why Paul would write that God sent His Son. He is sent, not created, or as the creed puts it, He is begotten, not made. How nice it would be if everyone who celebrated Christmas would only understand the basic theology behind Wesley's great hymn where he writes, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting, what? Lord." Late in time, join me on the yellow, okay? Late in time, behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, which you know means God with us. Verse 4 again, Jesus in the fullness of time came, born of a woman, born under the law. And those last two things we want to address together. When it says that He was born of a woman and He was born under the law, it's emphasizing those things that Christ voluntarily shares with us. He didn't come down from heaven in majesty and in pomp, but He came just as we were. He was born of a woman. Incredible, incredible thought. God's Son born of a woman. Another hymn says, he abhorred not the virgin's womb. Some people I know are too proud, it would seem, to even admit that they were born of a woman, that they were ever babies, utterly, completely dependent on a woman. And who of us would ever choose to be so dependent again, but Jesus did, and and you ask why. You wonder why. It says as well that he was born under the law, meaning simply that all the commandments that we are responsible to obey, he was responsible to obey, and a lot of the news items in the last couple of months have been about governors and mayors who pass strict rules about COVID and then get caught violating it themselves, and people are disgusted by them, but in our case with Jesus, He who gave the law followed it in circumcision, in priestly baptism, in Sabbath keeping, in tithing, in tax paying. I remember hearing a story about an incident uh, that occurred in the old, old Soviet Union. It seems that uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, he was the Soviet premier back in the 80s. He was in a hurry to get somewhere, and so he ordered his uh, limo driver to speed it up. And the limo driver, very conscientious, uh, refused to do what he was instructed and said, no, no, I'm afraid we might get pulled over if I do. And Gorbachev said, pull over. So the driver pulled over, and Gorbachev sent him to the back of the limo, and he took the wheel, and boy, did he put the pedal to the metal. And after a few minutes, his limousine was indeed stopped by a Russian patrol car. One of the officers approached the uh, limousine and uh, spoke to the driver for a minute, came back to his car, and his partner back in the car said, So, did you, uh, did you give him a ticket? They're going awful fast. And, and, and the policeman said to his partner, Oh, no. He said, uh, whoever's in that car is far too important for me to give him a ticket and he said, "Really? Who was it?" And he said, "I don't know who it was, but Comrade Gorbachev is his chauffeur." <laughs> okay. Well, in America, we we don't approve of that kind of attitude, do we? Uh, our disposition is no one is above the law, right? No one is above the law, but in reality. Jesus was. Jesus was above the law. He was the law giver. But he voluntarily placed himself under that law, and he did it for a particular purpose. Verse 5 gives us that purpose. Verse 5, in fact, is a verse full of purpose. It gives us two of the reasons why God sent his son to be born of a woman. Do you know the reason why? I've learned that our world is not very good at whys (laughs) with the... The scientific advances of the last century or so, we've gotten pretty good at answering the hows, but we're rotten at the whys. We know how the earth can support life, but we don't know why the earth would support life. We know more about how our bodies work than ever before, but we still have no idea about why our bodies are what they are. The bookstores are full of books to tell you how to how to do things, but few books really get into the ultimate issues regarding the why of life. But why, brothers and sisters, why is the ultimate question. With all our knowledge of the how-tos, we are generally speaking an aimless and purposeless people who don't know why we are or why we we do what we do. We aren't very good at figuring out something's purpose, and that's true in religion as well. Most of you here, I expect, know the Christmas story well enough to tell me how Jesus was born. You also know the the where's and the who's and the when's of Christ's birth. But do you know know the why? In the next few minutes, let's look at the why. Why God sent His Son. We learn that God did not do it simply so that we could have a nice holiday at the end of the year. The first part of verse 5 says, God sent His Son in order that He might... Redeem those who are under the law. That includes Jews and Gentiles. It includes you and, and me. We are all under the law and under its curse because we have all broken it. And unless we are rescued, we will be broken by it. Now, if you spend much time around church, uh, you, you're familiar with the terms that we use around here. Redeem, redeemer, redemption. But what what is all that about? What do we mean that Jesus is our Redeemer? Well, to redeem something means to buy it, and in this case, to buy it, purchase it out of slavery. I've heard maybe you have the story taught by uh, A.J. Gordon, (coughs) the great preacher of a generation past, maybe two generations past, and the story goes that he ran across a young boy around Christmas time who had two small birds uh, in a cage. And uh, Gordon asked the boy what he intended to do with those birds, and he said, oh, I don't know, probably feed them to my cat. So the preacher offered to buy the birds and the cage for a couple of bucks. The boy uh, told Gordon that they were just worthless birds and he'd be wasting his money, but the deal was made. And the next Sunday, Pastor Gordon took the, uh, showed up in his pulpit with the birds in the cage, And he used them as an illustration of this idea of redemption. What Gordon did for those birds in buying them out of slavery and out of certain death, Christ does for us. Scripture tells us that because of our sin, we find ourselves in bondage. We are slaves to sin. We are under a curse. And it's not, it's not our sweetness and our love that brought Jesus from glory to earth. It is our sin and our resulting need that did that. Because Jesus came not to congratulate us, but He came to redeem us, to free us from that sin problem. This is the very good news that the purpose of Christ's coming is related to our sin problem. The angel told Joseph, as you know, that his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And he does it by becoming one of us, by fulfilling the law, and then putting to death our sin by taking it with him to the cross at Calvary. Jesus, you see, was born to die. He came, he said, to offer his own life as a ransom for Many. That's why Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. 1 Peter 1.18 reminds us that you were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So God's purpose in sending His Son is to free us from sin. That's good enough, but that's not all. Because He comes not only to redeem us from something, but He comes to redeem us to something. And so verse 5 again, that He might, this is His purpose, that He might redeem those who were under the law. That, this is the purpose, we might receive the adoption as sons. The end and aim of all that God did and does in our redemption is that we might be His sons and His daughters. Do you see that? You're supposed to say amen at this point. It is magnificent. Redeemed unto sonship. We are taken from being slaves to sin and we are made children of God. God's purpose was not simply that we would be delivered from the greatest evil, but that we might be crowned with His choices, blessings. And what does this say about the coming of Christ into the world? It was precisely for this that He came. The Son of God became a man that men may become the sons of God. There's a difference to be sure between our sonship and that of Christ. He was, he is the only begotten of the Father. What are we? We are adopted children, but I'll take that. I'll take that. It really doesn't get any better because in the eyes of our loving Father, we cannot be any more precious. I love the story about the two brothers who entered first grade together, and uh, the first day of class, and their teacher was looking at the uh, specs on all the students, and she looked at these, uh, the records for these two boys, and they asked them, when, when's your birthday? And the, and the one brother said, January 4, 2014, and the other brother said, March 2, 2014, and the teacher thought about that and said, well, that's impossible, <laughs> and uh, they said, no, it's not. One of us is adopted. And so she asked them, which one is the adopted one? And they said to her, we don't know. (laughs) One day we asked our dad, and he just kissed us both and said, I forgot. That's how good it is to be adopted by God. He relates to us in every way, every way as a perfect father. And this making us into his children is the purpose behind the incarnation It's the purpose behind the virgin bearing a child. It's the purpose behind the angelic visitations. This is the purpose of Christmas. Did you know that? I thought you should. More importantly, have you experienced that? Has the purpose of Christmas been fulfilled in your life? You see, until you've experienced the adoption into God's family, you've not experienced Christmas, not what it's really all about. Not really, because the reason for the season is the sending of God's Son, and that Son was sent so that you might be redeemed unto adoption. And I fear some of you may know nothing of that personally, but it can happen for you. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. To anyone who receives Him, to anyone who embraces Jesus as my Master and my Savior, to anyone who believes in His name, this privilege of sonship, daughtership is granted to be God's child. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, but today you are surrounded by many, adopted, Sons and daughters of God, of the Almighty, who would love to welcome you into our family. One thing adoptive parents cannot do, that God does for us, is that He stamps us with the family image. Did you know that? (laughs) The very next verse in Galatians 4, verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father. Oh, what a gift. Today we can celebrate our sending God. He sent His Spirit to fill our hearts. He sent His Son to take our shame. Your redemption, your adoption, this is the why of Christmas. This is the purpose of our God. So let's go to Him and let's cry, Abba, Father, and let's give Him Thanks. Join me in prayer. So Lord, we thank you for the promise. We thank you for the angelic visitation to Mary and to Joseph. We thank you for the angels appearing to the shepherds. We thank you for the star that brought the wise men from the east. We thank you, Lord, for the incarnation of your good Son, the only begotten, that you might... Seek out for yourself those who were your enemies, those who were hostile, to change us into sons and daughters. Lord God, there are many things the devil's going to be speaking to us this week that would discourage us and would make us feel deprived, but forgive us for ever buying into his lies and just thrill our hearts this special week. And every day that we awaken, thrill our hearts with the glories of our high position, which you have won for us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't wait for us to seek you, but you sent your Son to seek after us and to make us your sons and daughters. Fill our homes, fill our hearts with the joy of the why of Christmas. Amen.